It's Tuesday, June 19th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, it's analyst Abby Mallon. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. There's only one story we can start with today, and longtime listeners know what that is. And to paraphrase the words of William Shakespeare, we come to bury Trunk, not to praise it. <laughs> Trunk is the online media company, which is Trunk is a terrible name, and we've said that for two years, uh, as others have said. Um, people are familiar. People in the United States are familiar with the properties of this company. It's it's an online media company. It's the Chicago Tribune, the LA Times, the New York Daily News, Baltimore Sun, etc. Not the LA Times anymore, though. That's true. Not the LA Times, um, but they've basically got this conglomerate of you know very sizable news assets, um, and they are finally changing their name. And honestly, changing their name to anything would be better than Trump. But they're embracing their roots. They're changing it to Tribune Publishing. Yeah. So the name change happened back in 2016. Um, the company was spun off of Tribune Media. So they were trying to adapt this sort of outdated image that they had and came up with Trunk, um, which all it, lowercase. Which is all lowercase, which, as they explained in a video that is probably still up on YouTube, and I remember at the time watching it and thinking, this looks like a parody commercial that you would see on Saturday Night Live. They explained that Trunk. The way they came up with it, it's a combination of Tribune and online content. And that explanation does not make the name any better. No, it really doesn't. It was bad. Um, but I think you know this change is good for two reasons. The first is that, um, so originally when the, they changed the name, I think they were trying to distinguish a bit from Tribune Media, which was um, until recently still, or still recently, um, it's separate company, but Tribune Media is actually in discussions with a Sinclair Broadcasting Group to be acquired. So I think that name is up for grabs again, and that distinguishing factor is sort of no longer at play. But I also think this is a really, um, in some ways, commendable moment where a management team is just admitting that they did something stupid and backtracking. And I think that is, um, while the original decision was not good, I think the the correction of it is actually very admirable. Yes, absolutely. And we saw this, obviously, in a much shorter time frame with Netflix and the whole Quickster debacle, where they came out, they did that, and then very quickly backtracked. And you know, it is, it is to Reed Hastings' credit that they made that decision quickly. But I, I'm curious, and by the way, the stock is up 4% in the last two days on this news. So, Again, we're going to take the tiniest of victory laps on this because, as I wrote on Twitter, I feel like we had just a tiny bit to do with this because we've been ridiculing this name from the start. So, so kudos to the management team for for doing the right thing. I, let's talk about the business though, because the underlying business, and this is a company with a market cap of around six hundred million dollars. The New York Times is a business that you've studied. And just in the broadest of senses, this is a comparable company. I mean, they're in the same line of work. They're looking for eyeballs online. They are presumably going to pursue the type of subscription strategy that the New York Times has, has done successfully. Because the New York Times, um, whether you love the New York Times or you hate the New York Times, it's a $4 billion company. It's, um, it is a stock that has done well over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I 
I think the important distinguishing factor between those two companies, so Tronk Media owns um, Chicago Tribune, the New York Daily News, Baltimore Sun, Orlando Centennial, South Florida Sun, Sentinel. Sentinel, the Daily Press, the Morning Call of Allentown, and the Hartford Current. And I, I don't see that packaging as... Um, nearly as valuable as the New York Times. And the New York Times has definitely struggled. I mean, it's been a metamorphosis for them in their business and um, how they've captured readers. And I think in a space where we have a lot of online content for free, I think charging for things gets um, harder and you have to really prove your value. And New York Times has done that. They've demonstrated pricing power. They've really adapted. And they have this clout and this reputation for being accurate, punctual, um, first to the story, and a lot of very um, value-adding services, and I don't know necessarily that this combination of papers has that same. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right, and I think that it, it just it, for everything you said, even when you combine all of those media markets, um, some of which are quite sizable here in the U.S., you're still you're still not going to get to the point where it's the same amount of clout. And um, uh, respect uh, that the New York Times has uh, built up over the past century, um, but so I'm not suggesting. Oh, this is they can go head to head with the New York Times as a public company and beat them. I am wondering though if they can take a page out of what the New York Times has done and basically be successful in a smaller way. Yeah, I think there's space for that. I think it's definitely an interesting opportunity. I just think. Perhaps in my own brain, I feel like there are more likely alternative investments that I would be more interested in. Our Twitter account is at MarketFoolery. You can follow the show on Twitter. And if you do follow us on Twitter, if you follow the MarketFoolery account, then you already know the news that uh, producer Dan Boyd got engaged. He's, uh, he's over in Ireland. He's, he's on a wonderful vacation. And and got engaged, and we'll absolutely be talking to Dan about that when he returns. Uh, but you can also submit questions on Twitter. Um, so we got a question from at uh, Shantaram eighty three. Apologies if I'm mispronouncing that. Uh, the question is: Any thoughts about SSTI? It is a software as a service, small cap, with retention rates over one hundred percent. The SSTI is the ticker symbol. The company is. ShotSpotter, which just went public a year ago, and uh, the stock's done well. I mean, if you bought into this IPO, your stock's up almost 200%. Yeah. So, this, like you said, this is a software as a service company, and they sell gunshot detection solutions for law enforcement officials and security personnel, uh, primarily right now within the US, but they're also an international company and open to those opportunities. They have about three key products. The first is ShotSpotter Flex, which is an outdoor public safety solution for cities and municipalities. The second is SST Secure Campus, so that's really targeted towards universities and um, colleges. And then the third is ShotSpotter Site Secure, which is, they really serve a variety of customers, so think um, more uh, like malls or things like that to help protect facilities in train stations, airports, freeways, things like that. Um, I think this is an interesting company. It's not one that I had looked at before until we talked about it this morning. But I definitely think there's something here that could be really interesting. So, right now, the market cap is just over $400 million. And 
companies like this are always interesting to me because um, they're not they're not going to consumers. They're like this, uh, when I think about the stocks that I have in my portfolio, a lot of them. Uh, the majority of them are consumer-facing companies. This is not one of those. Uh, ShotSpotter is looking to connect with, as you said, uh, cities, municipalities, uh, campuses, uh, and that can be educational campuses, that can be corporate campuses as well. And so, uh, I'm always a little hesitant, in part because I feel like anytime you are investing or thinking about buying shares of a a business-to-business company, you are working with a smaller data set in terms of in terms of feedback that you get from customers, and you know I suppose in theory you're also looking at a a smaller uh, just a smaller addressable market. Yeah, I mean I think that's an interesting point. And so right now they the customer or the company is in 77 public safety customers with coverage areas of 510 square miles in 88 cities and municipalities across the US and they estimate that can be as high as 1400 cities so qualifiers are four or more homicides per 100,000 people um, and each of those cities could spend as much as $400,000 annually and then they think they have an additional 5,000 college campuses and airports that each could spend about $100,000 annually and then internationally that number is actually a lot lower it's about 200 cities across the EU Central America Caribbean South South America and Southern Africa but the price point on that would be a lot higher so about $750,000 annually but I think something that's particularly interesting in this case, um, to your point about maybe having a smaller addressable market and less feedback about whether or not this product works, um, our listener wrote in and talked about those retention rates being over 100%. So, in 2017, of the 77 shot spot, spotter flex customers, 40% expanded by an average of eight square miles, driving revenue retention up 141%. So. Basically, to so me, so that's how you get because I, I I looked at that in the question. I was like, wait a minute, how do you get a retention rate that goes north of a hundred percent? Existing customers are spending more, which is actually a very good um, indicator of the fact that this product works and uh, places are seeing a very positive feedback. And um, the one thing that you have to be careful with or companies that play in this space particularly, not only are they business to business, but a lot of these are governments and local agencies, so they're really dependent on um, federal funding and federal budgets and things like that, so they can change pretty quickly. But with the positive retention rates moving in that direction, north of 100%, I think that means that you know we're seeing some positive traction. We were talking uh, a couple of weeks ago in this studio about uh, FullFest, our investing conference, uh, which was held earlier this month. Um, you were busy at FullFest. You were doing breakout sessions. You were doing main stage sessions. Um, what uh, do you have a takeaway from the event? Because it seemed every time I saw you, you were either on stage or if you weren't on stage, there were a bunch of investors uh, nearby. Asking you questions, so I'm curious what sort of when you think about Fool Fest, what stands out in your mind? Fool Fest this year was really fun. I think um, it was a huge crowd, which I think it was the biggest we've ever had, right? I think it was, yeah, day two. Yeah, day two is the biggest we've ever had. Um, a lot of really exciting questions. I think there was a lot going on. A lot, generally speaking, just a lot to be excited about. Um, we were talking earlier, and um, uh, after after. 
you indulge my making fun of Trunk, um, and we and we went down a little bit of a rabbit hole of uh, sort of not just Quickster, but just uh, there are just some bad names out there. I feel like there's there's a a, a business for someone in terms of consulting, um, even if it's just a feedback loop of just hey, we're thinking about changing the name of this product or our company to to this. Just bringing in a fresh set of eyes. There's there's a business there for someone to go in and be like, no no no, you're making a terrible mistake. But after you indulge me in all of that, um, you had mentioned a company I, I think I've only heard once or twice uh, mentioned once before. Blackline. This, how did this come up at Full Fest? Yeah, one of our um, writers, TMF Typo, who um, his first name's Brian. He brought this one to my attention. Actually, it's called Blackline. So Blackline. Is he brought it to my attention because I've recently worked on um, our partnership portfolio, which focuses on finding companies that are um, still founder founder led, founder run. Um, he was like, I can't believe you guys missed this one. And then as soon as he started talking to me about it, it was like five other people brought it up with me. So I think independent of that conversation. Independent of that conversation. Oh wow! So um, it was definitely one that was on our radar and for whatever reason, sort of missed the final cut. But um, one that I've after that, have now started digging into a little bit more. So, they are a leading provider of cloud-based software to automate accounting and finance operations for organizations in that sort of mid-market enterprise space. So they take the really boring world of accounting <laughs> and make it easier for people. So, that's correct. But I would argue that it's not necessarily always boring. Um, the issue with this, the accounting processes that they automate are financial closing, account reconciliation, intercompany accounting. Um, control assurance. So they replace Excel spreadsheets, batch processing, manual controls. So um, one of the, the struggles in this area for companies is that there's a lot of hurry up and wait. And so um, the goal with this product is that it there's never sort of a scramble. It's a constant um, constant loop of work being done. And I think it's really interesting. You know, the company was founded in 2001 by Therese Tucker. And she actually retired as CTO at SunGuard Treasury Systems, but then she, um, quote unquote, got bored. And so she set out to make a wealth management software, actually, but she found that that was a sort of a hard industry to break into and actually had customers requesting that she make some sort of solution for this financial um, accounting space. And that's sort of how the company came out to be. So it's pretty interesting. They have about 2,300 customers and more than 202,000 users across 150 countries. Um, again, you have net retention rates at above 100%, and a total addressable market of about $20 billion this year. I like that, uh, if nothing else out of this episode, I've learned that uh, retention rates can go above 100%, and I now know what that means. That is what that means. So, thank you for that. That's also a good origin story for the company. I like that. Yeah. Uh, and the ticker? Uh, BL. BL. All right. Abby Mallon, I'll let you get back to work. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fool. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan, who's working double time this week producing this podcast and industry focus. So shout out to Austin. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.